There's a grassroots rebellion stirring in Davis Square. Words of poetry cut through ambient subway noise, and students in Chile will not be quieted. The Observer Podcast presents Rebellion. sounds huge, monumental. Revolutions like in America or France or Haiti, protests like those happening in Chile or Hong Kong. But what about a rebellion closer to home, something that affects our daily lives, where we buy our groceries or see movies or grab drinks? A massive change like this may be coming to Davis Square in Somerville. Proposed new codes in Somerville would, f- would allow for five and six-story buildings, It's a huge change from the current four-story zoning. Imagine two CVSs stacked on top of one another. Davis Now is a community organization that was started to protect and fix the infrastructure of Davis Square. When they heard about the new zoning, they quickly organized against it. There are an awful lot of businesses that are affected. Once this starts, if it were to be all those buildings able to be taller, there's a lot of incentive to demolish, or I should say, um, demolish buildings, but to displace businesses, Mm -hmm. demolish these one and two story buildings, which have the most to gain by going to six, five and six stories, and then replace them with uh, an unknown renters, but the rents would be higher. That was Chris Leeworks, a member of Davis Now's steering committee. So when the mayor says all these businesses are going to die unless we, you know, build more square footage here, they're... That's not based on fact. Leewerk spoke to why Davis now is adamant against rezoning. A lot of this is is coming from the concern for what we have here now. Yeah. And how do you not lose it? Because every other community east of here has lost a coverage square, has lost a lot in allowing big footprint developments. And if we allow it here, we will lose what we have uh, in large part. Davis feels like a small downtown. You have everything you need. Clothing stores, coffee shops, groceries, good restaurants. But what makes it feel like home is that everyone has their favorite little spot. Whether it's Diesel for their scones or your favorite thrift store, you don't go to Davis for a giant mall or sweet green. You go for local businesses, the Somerville Theater, Dave's, Magpie, and more. Leework spoke to this feeling as well this prioritization of local businesses that's unique to Davis. It's a multifaceted thing. You can't really point to it. Go to Davis Square, and it's, it's a collection of buildings, none of, most of which are not you know, stellar architecture. Yeah. But nonetheless, we have iconic things here which are not replaceable, and they're not, repl- they're not replicated anywhere else. Like the Somerville Theater is probably the best example because of their live shows. Mm-hmm. It's not just a cinema like it is in Arlington, but they put on so many other things. And then other draws are the Burren and Red Books, particularly the Burren. So there are these places that are different that draw. Yeah. And then there's this other quality, which kind of just is because of the kind of buildings that we have and the rents that are available. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, it's a real diversity of businesses. Mm-hmm. No one uses all of them. Yeah. Yet every one of those businesses has a customer base. Right. So you, know, you might only visit in a year maybe 10, mm-hmm. 10 businesses there, but there are all these other things that are happening. And what's important about that is it forces, not forces, but it creates a 
the kind of cosmopolitan quality where you have students, you have people visiting from other places, um, different um, people with different backgrounds come in. Mm -hmm. you know, there are people that will come to the Punjabi Grill just because it's uh, certain yeah. foods that it has that you can't get in anywhere else. Uh, and a lot of that would be lost and become more hom homogenous. Rebellions can be small and large. They can impact entire countries or your walk to work. This rebellion should remind us that communities like Davis Square are not permanent. Davis now reminds us that communities require care and commitment. As students, we can get involved with the decision-making process. Understanding how civic government works, we can vote in Medford and Somerville. And of course, we should and can continue to support local businesses. Davis Square wouldn't be a home without them. by Nazarene Lin. Plastic City, room for two. Stay for the fireworks up to you, take the downtown express, I go to lie. Shoelaces untied by the fresh flowers. Eucalyptus young from the plaza, tucked in letter, cursive exaggerate. Someone else's name, I toss and think, a non-thought. Eucalyptus aromatherapy, antiseptics or air freshener for this room on Avenue of the Americas. I am still, meet me at mine. Your Chardonnay white face I smell, manicured royal blue. So our self-preservation I know people like you. Fully furnished, devastating I am a placeholder. Psychotropic medication, something other than loving too. You must know I should keep the vase and I will shave my head and bring it to the matinee. The croissants were shaped like the Venus Willendorf. They tasted like you inside. Spiteful palate, sweet sericle and chocolate, rich, make my fingernails hurt. I dig into the cheesecake off-white from the corner bodega, go home to my hopper, pointed chins to pointed drinks. latest of countries to rise up in protest this year, Chile has had a seemingly small incident spark a much larger movement. The media tells us that the protest began as a result of an increase in fares of public transportation, but as the protests get bigger and louder, it is clear that there are issues that go deeper than just a 30 peso hike in fares. Chileans are now speaking out about their bigger concerns, such as state violence against civilians and massive economic inequality as a result of neoliberal policies. Many are calling for the resignation of their billionaire president, Sebastián Pineda, as well as the drafting of a new constitution, since the current one was written during Pinochet's oppressive dictatorship, and its policies carry on today. Here are some fast facts. 
Out of 35 nations, Chile ranks among the highest in income inequality, according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. According to the Institute of National Statistics of Chile, about half of the population earned a median of 400,000 Chilean pesos monthly in 2018. This is roughly 550 American dollars. For some context, the average rent for a one-bedroom apartment ranges from approximately 300 to 500 dollars. It's no surprise that even the smallest increase in fares for public transportation can affect the 2.5 million passengers that use the metro daily. The protests began on October 14th after secondary students, which are the equivalent of junior high students, organized and carried out what they call evasiones masivas, which stands for massive evasions of the metros, which involved flooding subway stations and hopping over turnstiles to protest the prices. The situation became violent after military and police personnel rolled out tanks and became aggressive with the young protesters. Strikes and sit-ins followed, marking the beginning of what would bring Chile to an economic standstill, which continues to today. What is interesting about the protests in Chile are the ways in which tradition is very much incorporated in activism. I was actually in contact with a Chilean university student, Catalina Aroflores, who shared with me about the beginnings of this movement. She said student activism is very much a part of Chilean culture, as students protest for various reasons during the year. According to her, in recent years, students have been calling for free and better quality education, as well as calls to improve a sexist education system. She mentioned that these protests had actually been losing numbers in recent years, but this protest was entirely organized by secondary students, as opposed to university students. They shared plans and locations across various social media platforms using the hashtag EvasionMasiva. What's interesting to me is that there is a very valuable emphasis placed on protesting being passed down to the younger generations as a result of the country's past. And it's not the only traditional aspect of Chilean activism that caught my attention. In general, demonstrations require making a lot of noise. Sound is very important. In the case of Chile, I can't help but notice the sounds that are being produced. They are meant to attract attention from their people and their government, but they have captured the attention of the world as well. So what are the sounds of rebellion? Sirens, chaos, cries for change may come to mind, but that's not all. In Chile, there is a specific tradition around making noise, one of which is holding cacerolazos, a form of protesting by banging pots and pans. This has roots in the country that date back to the 70s, when citizens would gather to dissent against the brutal repression in Chile by the Pinochet dictatorship. There is also music, beautiful and powerful displays of singing and chanting songs of freedom that bring the country together. One specific song Catalina told me about was El Derecho de Vivir en Paz, which means the right to live in peace, by Victor Jara, who was a musician that was brutally assassinated during the dictatorship. This song has been covered by several Chilean artists and musicians this year as a result of the growing dissent against the government. The most notable protest was on October 25th in the heart of Santiago, where over one million people gathered to sing and chant, in what has been argued to be the largest demonstration in decades. In recent weeks, the situation has escalated tensions between protesters and the state, as the news has reported many incidents of violence, looting, and deaths. But the media doesn't tell all, nor does it always paint an unbiased picture for those of us who are not present. Catalina tells me the majority of media outlets in Chile are portraying the protesters as the bad guys, the violent ones, despite accounts of police staging robberies and destruction of property. 
There have also been several reports of torture and violence at the hands of military and police, but the news that come out of official networks don't seem to mention any of it. It is only by digging through social media feeds that I've been able to see some of these videos firsthand of military and police officials beating up and attacking protesters. And the interesting thing is that on several of the social media pages that share these first witness videos, a lot of the content has been taken down. We won't know if it's the individuals or the platform removing these videos, but they are the only way to see what the people see and not what the Chilean government wants us to see. Once again, social media has proven to be an ever-changing and useful way of amplifying voices. A fellow Tufts student, Maya Velasquez, is studying abroad in Santiago right now, and she has been watching and hearing the movement unfold around her. She has helped me source some of this audio from various platforms to help paint an audible collage of what rebellion in Chile is like today. To many Chileans, these weeks have been a sad reminder of a painful past, but also a glimmer of hope has appeared. Their voices are unified, louder, pushing through the cracks of repression. Around the world, we can hear the chants of protesters saying, Chile has woken up, and we can hope change can grace their near future. Davis Now, A Rebellion Close to Home, was written and produced by Carrie Haynes. Veins, Grids, was written and performed by Nazarin Lin and produced by Jamie Dew. And Sounds of Chilean Students was written and produced by Aureli Mancia. The art for the O podcast was made by Sophia Pretel. Ethan Lipson is the executive producer of the O podcast. Keep on the lookout for one more episode of the O-Podcast in the fall 2019 season.